Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavuta, Yerdena Osband, our daf of the day, Masach Rosh Hashanah, daf Lamed, page 30. As you hear, I have a bit of a cold. I'd held out against it. My kid has, has had a cold for a few weeks. I apologize in advance for any uh, variety in my voice that should not be there. Um, we have two Mishnayot on this daf, um, both of which are are following the previous discussion of the Takanot of Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai, which he made a whole bunch of Takanot that established, the fundamentally established a religion in the wake of a Beit HaMikdash that was no more. So all of these Takanot come, to big, come together to make a different kind of picture of what the Jewish experience was going to become. Um, and this is, you know, each one of these is a, a very small piece of that larger picture. So at first, meaning back in the day of the temple, they would take the lulav in the temple every one of the seven days and in the rest of the country, just the first day of Sukkot. So again, imagine the experience of Sukkot with only having a lulav and etrog for that first day and it's a completely different thing. I imagine also there's, you know, how do you how do you obtain a little of an etrog and then you're just going to use it for one day? It's it's a really different set of priority or approach to the priority, I think. And so then Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, after the destruction, made this decree that everybody, wherever they are, will take the lulav and etrog all seven days of Sukkot meaning in memory of the Mikdash. It's not because that's the mitzvah, but because we're keeping the practice of the Mikdash alive, so to speak, by taking it on. And it does shift our own experience of Lulav, and it changes our priorities, as I say. But it also has this, you know, at least if you pay attention to the, the identity of this practice in the context of the Takanot, of these decrees of Yerucham um, and Zakai, it is shifting the practice from being a mikdash-centered religion to something that people can do in their own homes or in their own shuls. Now, this is already a more complicated thing because we don't really know so much about the waving of the Omer. Um, But the Yom Hedef, it's exactly that. It's a day of waving. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakeh, again, he instituted that on them, the Omer offering is in Nisan, it, right? It's on the 16th of Nisan. When they, and from then, right, the, um, the, until you have that entire day of waving, the grain of the new crop of what we call Chadash would be prohibited. So what that means is that in the time of the Beit HaMikdash, um, new grain could not be eaten until after that Korban Omer was brought on that, the day after the first day of Pesach. And it was usually brought, let's say, in the morning. And so now what happens when the temple is not standing, you could say already that you could eat it the whole day. You don't have to wait until the carbon would be brought because the carbon is not going to be brought because there is no temple. So then Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, when he instituted a prohibition against eating that new grain through the entirety of the 16th of Nisan, that's Zechel Mikdash, meaning instead of saying, oh, look, there's no temple, so you don't have to be careful about the korban. You can have it any time of that day. No, no, he's prohibited it so that you can't eat it until the 17th, meaning as if the entire day were the time of bringing the korban, 
we're not going to be able to bring the carbon. We're also going to make sure that we don't um, start with the new grain until after the entirety of the day when you might have brought the carbon, if you could, in the time of the Beit HaMikdash. So the Gemara here goes on, basically kind of picks up to this, picks up this point of Zechel HaMikdash. You know, where do we get this idea that you can do things, Zechel HaMikdash, at all? The Amar Kra, and there's a verse to, to prove it, right, which I think is already an interesting um, halachic requirement, right? We want to have a source in the Torah, a source in the time of the Mikdash sources that allows us to do things Zechel HaMikdash after there is no more Mikdash. The Amar Kra, Ki Ale Aruchalach, so this is a verse from Yirmiyahu from the book of Jeremiah where it says I will restore health to you and I will hear, heal you of your wounds said, uh, said God, said Hashem because they called you an outcast namely Tzion he she is Tzion, and there's no, nobody to care for you, for her. Miklal Debaya Derisha. So this verse, the whole verse says, Jerusalem needed caring. So the way you, you do this caring is through acts of commemoration, right? This idea that you, we are supposed to come and pay attention to Yerushalayim uh, because she's outcast and nobody's paying attention to her. Now, of course, Jeremiah is talking about the wake of Chorban Bayit Rishon, but the first temple destruction, but the phenomenon of commemorating the existence of the temple and coming to care for it, right? Paying attention to what what has gone missing, um, I think is exactly the point. Um, okay, I think with that, I'm going to turn it over to you, Yordana. We have another Mishnah. Obviously, there's Gemara here that talks about this further, especially the Yom Hanef, but I, I think we're going to move on. So I, what I'm struck by, Anne, is that these Gemaras, or this reference to the Takhanot of Rabbi Yochanan, this is not the first time that they appear. There's a longer series of Mishnayos here that appear here, but we've seen it before in Pesachim. I'm pretty sure it was mentioned in Beitza also, specifically the one about the Omer. And I think the point of it is, is to show that these are really innovative Takhanot. And so the Gemara sort of keeps going back to it to rediscuss it um, because it really changed what Judaism looked like and how it was practiced. So now I'll go on to the next Mishnah here. So originally they would accept the testimony concerning the new moon all day. In other words, what we learned about is, is that, uh, you know, in order to say that it was Rosh Chodesh, you had to have these witnesses come. Rosh Chodesh could either be on the 30th or the 34th day, 31st day, excuse me, and basically, when the 30th day of a month came, the Beitin would now be ready to accept testimony um, from any Adim who came. And even if they came late in the afternoon, right, uh, the Beitin would still declare that it could be Rosh Chodesh. If no witnesses came, then the 31st would automatically be Rosh Chodesh. Now, when you have Rosh Hashanah that occurs, right, basically on the first of Tishrei, it's also Rosh Chodesh. So basically from the night, right, the night which brings in the 30th day after Rosh Chodesh Elul, okay, there's basically a, 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 a state of, you know, confusion about whether the, this day, the 30th or the 31st, is going to be Rosh Hashanah. So you have the end of Elul, you have that 30th day, and it, there's basically a question that 30th day, if witnesses show up, 
That's actually the first day of Rosh Hashanah. And so people are not really sure what to do. And so are you supposed to treat that day as Rosh Hashanah, which means you're not going to do Malacha, right? Um, and what would happen is, is that people would basically not do Malacha because they would be waiting to see whether or not it was actually going to be um whether it was actually going to be uh, Rosh Hashanah, because they had to wait to see what happened with the witnesses and um, the baiting. Um, so at that point, right, initially, the baiting was willing and able to accept that testimony all day. And even if they came right before nightfall, for example, right, the baiting would basically declare that it retroactively, that past day, right, so let's say sunset was at 6 o'clock, and the witnesses show up at four, and by the time they're done with everything at five o'clock, I, I make I have no idea how long it took. But let's say at five o'clock they declare that it's Rosh Chodesh. That whole previous day was actually Rosh Chodesh. So it's like retroactively declaring, sorry, that it's Rosh Chodesh. But also, if it's the end of Elul, it means it was actually it was Rosh Hashanah. So that's that's the case that they're talking about here, uh, and that's what's important here. Now it's interesting. This, you need to get filled in with a lot of the commentators, right? Like, it's not clear any of this uh, uh, just from... just from reading the uh, just from reading the, the Mishnah itself, um, and so they said what happened. So one time the witnesses didn't come on time. And the Levim uh, made a mistake with the daily uh, with the daily song with the daily hymn. So we know that every day the Levim would take a parak of Tehillim, a chapter of Psalms, and they would sing it. Uh, when the korban tamid was brought, um, when and it actually was when the wine libation was poured, that's when they would do it. And there was a different song for every day of the week. That's the Shir Shalyum that we say at the end of davening every day. Um, and um, and Rosh Hashanah, right? You so you could have that the regular, you know, the regular weekday one, right, is said in the morning. Okay. Um, but the, um, that, that would say, then you would have, let's say witnesses who came later. Okay. Because usually the witnesses would come after the morning tummy was actually brought. Um, and so that's why there's no special one that was said on the morning of Rosh Hashanah. Okay. The special one for Rosh Hashanah, the special Psalm for Rosh Hashanah was only said with the afternoon one. So the issue is, is that one year the witnesses came so late on the 30th, the afternoon tummy had to be brought. And therefore, what happened? The wrong hymn was actually said. They still said the weekday one. Then the witnesses come. They find out retroactively that it actually was Rosh Hashanah. And so uh, so some type of mistake was made. Now, um, I actually said that a weekday one was said. The Gemara is actually going to discuss what exactly was the was the error. Um, so therefore, the Chachamim, the sages, this is not Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaka yet. They made, they instituted that they could only accept witnesses until Mincha itself. Because in other words, they wanted to say that until, basically until the afternoon Korban Tamid, until the afternoon sacrifice uh, was brought. And uh, let's say witnesses came after the time of Mincha. So they would observe that day as holy and the following day as holy. So in other words, if the witnesses came after the afternoon Korban Tamin was offered, right, they um, basically Rosh Hashanah would just be deferred until the 31st. But the Chachamim basically said that the rest of the day of the 30th still had to be observed as a Yom Tov, 
and you couldn't do any malacha. So in other words, it sort of was Kodesh, but Rosh Hashanah wouldn't actually start until the actual, um, wouldn't start until the actual uh, next day. And then, uh, you know, so you sort of would have that, you know, you know, sort of two days of Rosh Hashanah, right? You had that first like day that sort of from the time the witnesses came, there was no more malacha. And then the next day would actually be uh, Rosh Hashanah. That, and that's, that's what they would do. But once the temple was destroyed, once the temple was destroyed, Raman Yochanan ben Zakkai instituted that again, they could accept testimony um, for the entire day. But now, why, why was he able to do that? Because once you didn't have a Beit HaMikdash anymore and you didn't have this issue of the afternoon uh, korban tamid, of the afternoon offering, right? And therefore, you didn't have this issue about making sure that the proper um, psalm was said, that the proper hymn was going to be said. You didn't need to do that anymore. So um, so Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, you know, basically said that, you know, you could uh, you could actually accept that testimony um you could accept it all day. Now, then the Gemara gets into an interesting discussion. Mal kilkalu, kilkalu halavim bashir. What exactly was the mistake that the Levian made, right? Havetir gemu, right here, hachatir gemu, here in, in Bavel they're talking about. Shalom amrushira kolikar, that the Levian actually didn't say any him at all. In other words, they're waiting, they're not sure if witnesses are going to come, so they give the korban tamid and they just, the Levian just don't say anything that day. Rabbi Zera, Amar, Rabbi Zera says, Shamrushira shalcho im tamid shalban harbayim. And Rabbi Zera says, no, it was at the end of saying the whole one because the witnesses had not come yet. So they didn't know if it was going to be Rosh Hashanah. Then the witnesses come, and it turns out retroactively it was Rosh Hashanah, and they said the wrong one. Amar lo Rabbi Zeir. Now, again, remember that on Rosh Hashanah, the morning one is the regular weekday one exactly for this reason. It's only the afternoon one for the afternoon Korban Tami that it was a special one for Rosh Hashanah. So Rabbi Zeir then is going to support uh, what he wants to say with a brisa. Amar lo Rabbi Zeir la'ava breyas. Rabbi Zeir says to his son, Ahava, Go and teach this brisa to the people in Babel, basically. That basically that the weekday one was sung, and not that they forgot to sing anything at all. Right? That they instituted that the Bezdin should not accept testimony about the new month. There had to be enough time to give the korban tamid and a korban musaf, and to do the libations. And also to make sure that the correct hymn was said without a mistake. Right? If you say it was that they made a mistake and they said the weekday one, why would there be a cons- why would this be considered a mistake? Because if the witnesses, you know, if the witnesses uh, were going to be uh, late in, 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 in the day, right? So in other words, what he's saying is, is that the word shibush, right, um, seems to sort of, uh, you know, say that there was sort of a, 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 a mistake, right, is that some type of act took place, not the wrong one, right? So Rabbi Zera basically is going to argue is that this decree was basically there so that this mistake didn't happen, right, that they didn't continue to say uh, the wrong one. But if you say they didn't say anything at all, what mistake was there? In other words, failing to say any hymn, right, any psalm 
is not a mistake. It's just an omission, but it's not a mistake. You didn't say the wrong one. So that Rabbi Zera uses this brisa as proof to say, no, it was that they said the wrong one, not that they didn't say anyone at all. And then the Gemara, you know, basically wants to reject this. Kevin Deloa Marklal, when they didn't say anything at all, that's no greater mistake. Not saying anything at all is no greater mistake at all. The Gemara is going to continue its discussion about this, right, um, about what is the bigger mistake, what was the mistake itself. I'm not going to continue with that. But I think this is a really, it's a very interesting Mishnah. First of all, the whole thing with the Rosh Hashanah, you need to understand that Mishnah. It is not clear from the words of Rosh Hashanah, of the Mishnah itself. And also, you know, here's an example where often the Gemara will point out, like, notice how precise the language of the Mishnah was. And here's an example where Shaquille Kalu, it's not precise. Uh, it's not clear what the mistake actually was, and there's discussion around what that mistake was. And I think sometimes we have examples where the language of the Mishnah is very precise, and other times we have examples where, particularly, I think, around things that happened hundreds of years ago in the Beit HaMikdash, it, you know, you're in Bavel, and it's hundreds of years later. It's not always so clear-cut. And so I think we see that type of example today where the language of the Mishnah does not help with precision, and there's a lot of gaps that need to be filled in. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.